Thanks, Garrett, for leading. Parker is off this week. He's going to be a busy man helping with Christmas in the chapel all this week, too. I was visiting the house of someone a while back, and they had a book sitting out plainly for anyone to see. I don't know if that was intentional or not, but it was entitled, Dealing with People You Can't Stand. And so I asked to borrow it, just kind of curious, and the introduction begins by saying, people you can't stand, they're those difficult people who don't do what you want them to do, or do what you don't want them to do, and you don't know what to do about them. And then it describes 10 different personalities in 10 different chapters. There's the tank, the sniper, the know-it-all, the think-they-know-it-all, the grenade, the yes person, the maybe person, the nothing person, the no person, and the whiner. But the last chapter is the one that really got my attention. It was entitled, What if people can't stand you? What if you're a tank or a sniper or a whiner? And I got to thinking, you know, in the church we have this variety of people and we're not always comfortable with certain varieties. Plus, we are all flawed, foibled personalities. And one of the biggest problems in any church is the people. Now, this is the last in our series out of 1 Corinthians, which I've entitled, I Love You, But You Have Problems. The Corinthian church had a lot of problems, but Paul loves them, Jesus loves them, and we are to love the church too. And one of the problems in any church is us. Little Billy opened the door when Grandma arrived. See, Grandma, I'm, glad, I'm so glad to see you. Now Daddy can do his trick. What trick is that, Grandma asked. Well, Billy said, Daddy told Mommy that if you come to visit again, he'd start climbing the walls. And there are just some people that drive us crazy. Now, friction between people is not all bad, okay? You rub a balloon on your hair and you put it on the wall, it stays there because of that friction. It causes them to stick. And it really takes friction sometimes to build relationships. If you never have any friction, you probably have a shallow relationship. It's easy to get along with people if you don't get close to them. And there are people who don't want to get too close to anyone in the church because they've been hurt in the past. And I understand that, but then you miss out on the growth and the joy of the fellowship. So I want you to take a moment, just look at some people around this building, look at each other, and you'll see different sizes and different height and weight and different taste in clothes and different color of hair and different amounts of hair. And Notice the physical differences, but understanding also there's other differences, like some are idealists and others are realists. Some are procrastinators, others are activists, some are intellectuals, others are more sensitive. Just a lot of evidence just in this room that God likes variety. And then you look at his creation and the mountains and the hills and the plains and then the seas and the lakes and the rivers and the deserts and the different seasons and the varieties of vegetation and animals. How many different kinds of birds did God create? I actually Googled that one. There's around 10,000 bird species in the world. That's just the birds. You see the colors and the textures around us, the many different kinds of food and taste. God must love variety because he created it. And yet God desires unity. It is a universe, unity and diversity, different parts of this universe needing each other. The animals need the plants, the plants need the animals, living beings need the atmosphere, the atmosphere needs living beings. It is a very interdependent world in which we live. And God does not want the church to be three or four hundred individuals He wants us to realize how much we need each other. American independence is actually a threat to the church. Now, there's good things about independence and responsibility, but it seems to go too far very often, and everyone becomes an island. 
1 Corinthians 12, 12, he says, The body is a unit. Though it is made up of many parts, and though all parts are many, they form one body. Then back in verse 4, talking about the church, he says, There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. Different kinds of service, but the same Lord. Different kinds of working, but the same God works of all of them in all people. So Christ is the source of our unity and our diversity. He gives us different gifts, but he keeps us united. In fact, the only thing we have in common in this room today is Jesus Christ. Without Christ, we would go our separate ways. He is the unifying force. There's a lady who'd gotten a thank you note from her grandson after he stayed with her and her husband for a few days. It says, Dear Grandma, I had lots of fun at your house. I'm sorry I dug up all your plants. I'm sorry I used a whole roll of toilet paper. I'm sorry I put it in the toilet. I'm sorry I tried to flush it down. I'm sorry that the water went all over your floor. I'm sorry I bothered your neighbors. I'm sorry I made Grandpa mad. I'm sorry for putting sand in your rainwater. I'm sorry I lost three spoons. Grandma, can I come again for a few weeks next summer? What's Grandma say? Of course, we'd love to have you. Grandkids come, they wear you out, they're inconvenient. Do you want them not to come anymore? The worst thing in life is not when people inconvenience us or being around people you can't stand. The worst thing in this life is when people don't want us or need us. Loneliness is very convenient. You don't have to be bothered with people, but it's not how God created us. So the church has people. And people can be problems, but people can also be united and while yet diverse. And God uses people in his church to do some amazing things. Verse 14, even so the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now he's going to compare our physical bodies with the body of Christ, the church. Now if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, these parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body and that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Your heart will beat around 100,000 times today. That's amazing. Your lungs contain 1,000 miles of capillaries. We know that the lungs turn oxygen into carbon dioxide, and that process is so complicated that Dr. John Medina, a genetic engineer, says it is more difficult to exchange oxygen for carbon dioxide than for a man shot, of, shot out of a cannon to carve the Lord's Prayer on the head of a pin as he passes by. Impossible. But the lungs do it. Your body uses energy efficiently, which is not good news for some. 
If an average adult rides a bike for one hour at 10 miles an hour, it uses the amount of energy contained in three ounces of carbohydrate. That's why we can't burn fat like we'd like to. We are so efficient. In fact, I read one time that if a car were as efficient as our bodies, it would get 900 miles to the gallon. So I want you to turn to the body next to you and look at it and say, that is an amazing body. Go ahead and tell them right now. And Paul uses this amazing body to illustrate the church of Jesus Christ. We have hands and feet, eyes and ears, every part important. And whenever any part of the body gets injured or sick, the whole body is affected. So here's some ways the body of Christ is injured. One is amputation. Members get cut off. And amputation hurts the body, but also it's not good for the amputated member. You cut off an arm, that arm will die. I have never seen anyone amputate themselves from a church and remain healthy Christian. I've never seen it. I've seen people claim it. But John asked, how can you say you love Jesus if you don't love your brother or sister? Another malfunction would be lazy eye, a condition where one eye seems to stray a bit, almost as if it had a mind of its own. What if every body part had a mind of its own and did what they wanted to do? Paul says the head of the church is Christ, and that head is what directs our common activities toward a common purpose. We're all under the headship of Christ. The elder's job is to ask, what does Christ want for his church, for his church? And the lazy eye says, no, I'm going to do it my way. Fractures happen. Members fall out with one another. Relationships are broken. If you've ever had a broken toe, you know it affects the whole body. Fractures in the church hurt the whole body. Some churches have multiple fractures. I've seen churches destroyed by fractures, been crippled for years. There's arthritis. We usually think of arthritis in older bodies, but it can be in anyone. That's the abrasive grinding of bone upon bone, and it hurts. Well, a healthy body has gristle, and in the body of Christ, that gristle is forgiveness and forbearance and patience and acts of kindness. Atrophy is where part of the body gets no exercise and no muscle building, like people who've been laying in bed for inactive maybe for a week or even a month, and they can barely stand when they try to get up. If a member just sits and thinks that all there is to the Christian life, just sitting, they'll atrophy. There's an old saying, unfortunately, that I think is too true. It's 20% of the people do 80% of the work. If only 20% of your physical body was functioning properly, I'm not sure you'd be alive. So can you imagine what it'd be like if 100% of the body of Christ was actively functioning? Now just think about this. Would you rather lose your ears or lose your eyes? Would you rather be blind or deaf? Would you rather be without legs or arms? Which one would you give up? I mean, the very thought of going without any of those is repulsive because we need them all and we want to be, have healthy bodies. And so everyone has a role. That's Paul's point. Everyone is important. And if you claim to be a Christian, you are part of his body and you are important to that body. Now, this text is not primarily about unity, 1 Corinthians 12. It's important to see that the main point of this chapter is the diversity of the church. Paul's not saying the body, the body is one in spite of its diversity. He's saying the body is diverse in spite of its unity. Verse 14, he says, now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. And then he goes on and talks about how these diverse parts relate to one another. And he wants to show the Corinthians and us that diversity is God's intention. And we're not all going to be alike. Thank goodness. If everyone in this church were like me, we'd be in bad shape. 
And I often pray for the unity of the church, and I don't usually pray for the diversity, and I should. Lord, make us diverse. It's good. It allows a more biblical approach to ministry. Now, the older traditional view of ministry is you pay someone to do the work. Pay the preacher, pay the staff to do the shepherding, the teaching, and the hospital calling, and shut-ins, and nursing home, and evangelism, and children's ministry. That's just not biblical. Now, there's paid staff in the church in the, in the New Testament. And most churches have some remnants of this, but when we rely on paid people to do everything, it's just not healthy. And a lot of churches think, well, if we can just get that superstar minister, we'll have a healthy church. No, that may be the worst thing to happen to church. In fact, it's probably why God created so very few superstars. And I am not one of them. Just thinking this last week of how many things I'm not good at. Um, and then I got to thinking of Garrett. There's a lot of things he's not very good at. <laughs> and Rob and Jill, same thing. And Laura. Now, Teresa, she's good at everything. She is the superstar. The only one we have. And I got to think, you know, there's some people in our church that are really good at dealing with legal issues. And we have people in the church that do that and they enjoy it. I think they're weird, but you need them and they do that. We have some people that are great greeters and they make others feel welcome and some are great singers. After I started at one church, I thought I was alone in the building and I, and I wasn't. And I was just singing to myself and the janitor came in, so I thought you were sick. Some of you can work on cars and use that to help others. Some of you do carpentry. We have a meal ministry that is really nice. When I'm calling on someone in the hospital, I can just ask, do you want a few meals brought over? And they so much appreciate it. And it's just the body of Christ doing what Jesus wants it to do. Some of you are good with construction and help Jacob and Brooke call, build that wheelchair ramp for Emily a, a few Saturdays ago. Some of you help with funeral dinners. We have some that set up these chairs every Saturday. And we just take for granted. I, I'm waiting for one Sunday morning. I walk in here and they're not set up. That hasn't happened yet in several years. We just take it for granted. We have teachers for our children, youth workers with teens, adult teachers. We have people that mow the yard, uh, those that prepare communion. We had a widow lady in our church just this last week had furnace troubles. And a man in our church found out about it and asked me how to get a hold of her. And I called her and asked her if it's okay for me to give her number to him. And she was ecstatic, and he went over that day. He wasn't able to fix it, but he lined up work to get it fixed. He brought in some heaters and electric blankets, spent five hours with her, which I think she appreciated the most. He wouldn't take any money, and she called me the next day. He said, Mark, it's unbelievable. This guy is just a wonderful person to be around. She was just gushing, and then on top of that, he gave me a hug when he left. Diversity allows the church to be what God intended the church to be. And you may wonder, what's your role I would just say just try some things. Just be available. Look at what you can do and how can that be used to God's glory. Another benefit of diversity, various needs can be met. Some need counseling. Some need encouragement. Some need a screen door repaired. Some need teaching. Some need a friend. Some need help with their kids. Some need financial help. And as different needs are met, it makes the church attractive to different kinds of people. So the more diverse we get, the more people we can minister to. Paul said, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If it's all an ear, where would be the sense of smell? I heard of a youth minister who was teaching this lesson to high schoolers, and he took a football and painted it so it looked like a big eye. And he would carry it around in the blanket when he brought the youth group, you know, and he said, well, how do you like my baby? And they'd look and say, well, that's kind of gross. 
And then he said, well, if, what if your girlfriend were a big eye and you took her out for a milkshake and you prop her up in the booth opposite of you and you try to carry on this conversation and all she does is stare at you and there's one big unblinking eye. I mean, how distorted would that be? An eye is just not a very effective body. It really cannot do much on its own. And if we were all preachers or all teachers or all nursery workers or all janitors, we would not have a church. And in third, it keeps church life just interesting. I may be boring, but I'm not bored. I, I, one thing I love about ministry, there's so much variety and diversity working with different people. And we were never intended to be a bland bunch of clones that look alike, think alike, dress alike, and act alike. The church is not a sausage factory where we're all ground up together. We're a body with discernible parts. Now, Corinth was a richly gifted church. They had some things that, I don't know if we have many of these gifts, like tongues and healing, miraculous prophecies, amazing gifts. But they also had some problems because these remarkable gifts uh, made people become smug, those that had them. And they despised their less obviously gifted friends. And so they said, you know, if you were a Christian like us, you'd have these same gifts. And Paul disagrees, and that's why he stresses diversity here, that everyone is important. So in our text, he speaks to two groups. First, he speaks to those who feel inferior, who probably do not have these spectacular manifestations of the Spirit. Verse 15, he says, If a foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, for it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. Do you hear the inferiority complex? I'm not a hand, I'm just a foot. I can't do everything the hand does. And Paul says, you are part of the body, everyone. You've all been baptized by the same Spirit. Every one of you has gifts, and God has chosen and arranged each of us as he sees fit. Everyone is necessary. What if the foot decided to quit, amputate himself? You think the body would suffer? And some say, well, I don't have anything to offer, and that's just wrong. Maybe one problem is a limited view of ministry. It's not these four walls. A lot of ministries outside the church walls. Let me tell you about another man, again, this past week, helped another widow in our church with work around the house help clean out gutters and do various little acts of service, little acts of kindness no one hears about, but Jesus is honored. Another situation this past week, someone called the office needing help, and I referred them to someone in the church I knew could handle it, and they did. See, most ministries are not up front. And the attitude in the Corinthian church is, because I don't have the visible gifts, I'm not as good as you. And Paul actually says the less visible parts are not inferior. In fact, they might be more important. I mean, who is more important, the nursery worker or the preacher? If the nursery workers all quit and the preacher quit, which position would we fill first? If the janitor quit and all the elders quit, who would we miss the most? I mean, who is more important, the nursing home resident who prays fervently or the singer who sings fervently? Who do you think God is listening to more intently? Leonard Bernstein, the famous orchestra conductor, was asked which was the hardest instrument to play, and without hesitation, he said, second fiddle. It's easy to get first violinist, but to find someone who plays second violin with as much enthusiasm, that's a problem. And yet, if no one plays second, we have no harmony. Then to the second group are those who feel superior, verse 21 through 26. 21 says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. There is no room for self-sufficiency or arrogance in the body of Christ. Those with miraculous gifts may feel smug, 
or those who teach may feel superior, but need to recognize nobody is a nobody in Christ's body. How about hair? How important is hair? If you watch TV commercials or even watch many of us in front of a mirror, you'd say hair is pretty important. We dye it, we comb it, we clean it, we curl it, we shape it, we spray it, and we spend money on it. But how important is hair really? If I lost my hair, it might bother me, but I can live without it. I really need my liver and my lungs a lot more than I need my hair, and that's why if cancer attacks my liver or lungs, I'll gladly sacrifice my hair to save them. And yet I give a lot more attention to my hair than I do to my liver or lungs. And that's why God applauds the less visible, the service, the helps, the encouragement, men helping widows, meals to people from the hospital, working with children. Without these, the body would die. Verse 24, God has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts have equal concern for each other. Some of you might be old enough to remember the old-time circuses where they'd have actually sideshows. You know, you see a woman with a beard or a man who could swallow fire or swallow a sword or a man with hands like crab pincers or a giant woman. I remember seeing a giant. She was nine foot tall. And these people would just basically sit on stage and for a quarter you could go and look at them. Well, a book was written about these circuses and there was a movement in those days to end those shows. Protesters claimed that they exploited people with deformities and making a mockery of their misfortune. But the people in these shows, they were paid pretty well, and, and so these deformed people in these acts did battle against their supposed allies. They said that if not for these sideshows, they were largely unemployable. I mean, who wants to hire a woman with a beard or a man with deformed hands? And one of the performers explained passionately, we have a community, a group of people who, because of their own deformities, accept the deformity in others. I love it. It's a picture of the church. We all have our deformities and we accept the deformities in each other. But the book continues and says there was a clear unhealthy hierarchy that developed within one circus. It tells about a man with three legs. He'd been hired out of Chicago and before long, he became the star of the show. And even though he could walk normally, for the act, he dressed in sloppy large clothes, and he worked his hair into a frenzy, and he stammered onto stage in a daze, swinging his body left and right, and it often terrified the crowd. And each time he turned his body, the third leg swung out and startled the women and children. He was so convincing that one time a man in the audience ran up on stage, attacked him for try trying to protect his wife from this three-legged monster. When that attack made the papers, the three-legged man became even more popular. His salary was immediately doubled, which upset the other acts, nearly destroying the community and the service. A hierarchy had created, been created. Three legs was better than female facial hair or crab hands. The bearded woman said, listen to this, not everybody is lucky enough to get born with three legs. It's not like he did anything to deserve that kind of blessing. Now you think about it. In that community, they'd feel sorry for us because we don't have any outstanding deformities. We'd probably be jealous of the man with three legs too because he gets all the glory. And life is a lot like that. The church is a lot like that. We're all in this circus 
And sometimes we have these little stupid acts, things that we want to get the crowd to like us. Instead of deformities, we might rely on good looks or money or athleticism or sexual attractiveness, trying to get others to clap for us, and it ruins community. We are not all equal. We are all deformed in some way or another. Some are more deformed than others, perhaps, but that's why we need each other. Nobody is a nobody. I want to leave you with one truth today. You are important to the body of Christ. Let me give you a couple examples. Kids. Kids in the church are a lot of work. They're drained on the budget. They take a lot of volunteers. Let me ask, do you want a church without kids? They are critical. They bring energy, they bring light, they bring hope to the church. How about people in the nursing home? They're a drain on time and energy. Are they important? Well, for one thing, when you go to the nursing home, it's an awfully good reminder of the nature of life. But even more than that, anyone who goes to the nursing home to minister to them will find that they get ministered to. They will bless you and encourage you. Nobody's a nobody in Christ's body. So I want to issue a challenge, one of four things today, to do one of these four. Genesis 2 says, the Lord God said it is not good for man to be alone. We were created for community, as social beings, we need others. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, Paul in 1 Corinthians 12, 21. So I want to challenge you, one of these four. Number one, commit to a church home. I will be a part of this family. I will become a member. I'll get off the sideline. I'll join the team. Or, number two, get involved in a ministry. And there's several options there, and I've mentioned a few. Or, third, get involved in a Sunday schoolers community group. Or fourth, if you don't know where to turn, talk to a staff person or elder about your involvement. Maybe you're just wondering about your place and you need to talk to someone, get some ideas. See, attending worship is the first step in becoming a part of the body. It's just the beginning. You need fellowship. You need to rub shoulders with others. It is easier to stay independent. I get that. It's easier to keep your distance. It's safer to sit and watch, but it's not healthy for you or for the church. But above all, first give yourself to Jesus Christ. He is the head of it all, and you need to live for him and in him. Let's pray. Father, you created the church. Jesus came to build the church, and we need it. And we need each other. Lord, I pray you'll help us all to see we were created to be interdependent, not independent. And the church is not perfect. We are all flawed and deformed in some way. But we are also all gifted in some way. And I pray that every one of us will enjoy the sweet fellowship that can be found in Jesus and with other believers. And I pray that we will be a body that ministers to others and to people in this world. Make us one, but also make us diverse. And it's in Jesus we pray this. Amen.